Welcome back to Yelling and Propelling, episode number six. Shout out Zhao Chi, shout out IQ Tests, and shout out Emmanuel quickly. IQ for short. Today we're going to be talking all about IQ and trying to figure out whether or not he is our point guard of the future. I'm sure you can see a trend developing here. I'm trying to get at least one video in on each key player that's on the Knicks roster right now, and that will most likely be a part of the future. Uh, for years to come, so now we're on IQ, did RJ, we did uh, Julius Randle, and last episode actually was not anything like this. I talked about which players I would and would not like to see on the team for next season, next five years, whatever. Um, but yeah, today it's all about IQ and whether or not I believe he has enough potential to become our point guard for the future, lead us to the promised land, all of those great things, but first, as always, let's get started with the weekly recap segment. You are listening to my voice from Thursday afternoon, and there are no games scheduled for tonight, but taking it back a week to the end of the first round of the playoffs. Let's start it off with the Miami Heat and the Atlanta Hawks. Miami won that series in five games. Atlanta won one of their two games in Atlanta. Uh, it ended up being a horrible series for Trey Young after what was an abysmal performance in game one, so Miami moved on to play Philly, who beat Toronto in six games, actually, after going up 3-0. That series got a little interesting. Things got a little dicey after Toronto won the next two, making the series uh, 3-2, but Philly ultimately ended up win t- winning uh, in Toronto, game six. So the Bucks were able to defeat the Bulls in four out of five games. I, like a lot of people, thought the Bulls would have put up more of a fight, but I'm sure they'll be back stronger next year. Speaking of expecting more of a fight, Boston swept Brooklyn, and the Brooklyn Nets finished with the same amount of playoff wins this season as the Knicks, which feels good, feels great even. Uh, so Boston moves on to play Milwaukee in round number two. That series is probably going to be my favorite, and so far has been. I mean, the series is tied 1-1. I'm going to get to round two in just a second. Uh, but Phoenix and New Orleans series, again, a series that got a little dicey, a little uh, scare for Phoenix when, like I mentioned in the last episode, Devin Booker suffered a hamstring injury. Phoenix was able to pull it off, though, and win the series in six games. Props to New Orleans. I believe they have a very bright future. Dallas also won their series against Utah in six games. Something that I called from the... Well, not in six games. I called seven. Something else I also mentioned on the podcast last episode. But I called it because I think that Utah is going to make some serious, serious changes in the offseason. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Golden State beat Denver in five games. A very commanding, very impressive um, five-game series win for the... Series win for the uh, Golden State Warriors. And Memphis won their series against the Minnesota Timberwolves in six games. So round two that just got underway a couple days back, starting off with Miami and Philly. The Heat actually got a very lucky break because in game six of Philly's 
series against Toronto, uh, Joel Embiid suffered an orbital fracture and I think was being evaluated for a concussion. I'm not sure if he if they decided that he did have a concussion. If it was, it was a mild one because there was rumors that he was going to return for Game 3, which is tomorrow night, Friday night. Uh, but right now, Miami's up 2-0. The series is now going to Philly. But if the, it, basically what it's looking like right now is that if Joel Embiid doesn't get back on the court for the Sixers, they have no shot in winning a single game. So Miami should cruise past them there. The Milwaukee and Boston series has been nothing but entertaining so far. Milwaukee took a commanding 1-0 lead, and then complete opposite in Game 2, Boston smashed Milwaukee and beat them by like 28, something like that. So the series is tied 1-1. I think it's going to end up going to 7 games. Chris Middleton, if he can return for the Bucks, that's huge, but right now it's not looking like he will. So there's that. Phoenix and Dallas right now, the Suns are up 2-0. The series goes to Dallas for Game 3, which will be tomorrow as well on Friday. In the Warriors and Grizzlies series is tied 1-1. John Morant has been going crazy in this series. The Warriors have looked really good at themselves, and Draymond is getting in all sorts of controversy. He got thrown out in Game 1, uh, went to the locker room in Game 2, his eye was bleeding. I think he got smacked in the face or something. Flipped off the fans. That's another fine. He said he takes it on the nose. So, again, another very entertaining series. And, oh, man, do I miss Knicks basketball, especially on a night like tonight when there isn't any NBA playoff games on at all. Uh, but you know what helps me get over that hump? And you know what helps me when <laughs> I just, just it just dawned upon me the way I went into that was like, I have a sponsorship coming up or like an advertisement, but there's none of that right now, I promise you. Uh, anyways, as I was saying, one thing that has really helped me out, <laughs> like recently with, you know, lusting for uh, New York Nick basketball is the fact that Brooklyn and Atlanta both got bounced in the first round. You love to see it, man. You love to see it. Sweet, sweet revenge. Call it whatever you'd like. Um, but yeah, no, aside from that, going into next season, you know what really has me geeked? That's our young core. The New York Knicks young core is so intriguing. So it's totally something to be excited about. And let me say, state it right now that I will definitely post an episode. My next episode, not next week. Well, it actually might be out next week. Either either next Friday or the Friday after. Uh, the next episode will be titled something along the lines of why our young core is worth being excited over. And I'm going to break everything about the young guys on our team, break them, break everything about their game down, um, how it all works with each other, and how they really have bright futures in this league, every single one of them. So anyways, one of those guys goes by the name of Emmanuel Quickly, and he's who we're talking about today. The million-dollar question is, should we give the keys to our offense to Emmanuel Quickly, and is he worthy of the keys and the starting point guard position for the future. Now, a little bit of background information. Emmanuel quickly has not at all gone from point A to point B so far, as most players don't, right? It's a, it's a roller coaster up and down. You see some flashes. You see some lowlights. He came into the league super electrifying with the float game. That became his patented move and started to struggle towards the latter half of his rookie season didn't really give us much in the playoffs of course it was his first playoff appearance you shouldn't you should not expect that you should not expect um, a ton from any rookie who 
is as inexperienced as quickly was um, come playoff time for his first playoff run. But then fast forward to his sophomore season, and again, a lot of ups and downs. There was a, he had a big, a very long, cold stretch where he wasn't getting more than 16 minutes a game and wasn't shooting well at all, but he really was able to adjust to it over time. It was a very good learning point for him, if you ask me, because I feel like that was the spot where his playmaking really came through, and he really started to prove that he can orchestrate an offense at an NBA level at that point. And then his shot came back, and he regained his confidence shooting from deep, and he finished off the season super strong, obviously, you know. Uh, two triple doubles in the final week of the season like that's insane so by the way none of this is to mention the fact that throughout his rookie and sophomore year he only started a total of six games three in each season and do whatever you'd like with that information what I'm going to do with it is tell you that I think that I don't I, well I'll tell you what I don't think I'll tell you what I, I don't think that we've gypped him of an insane amount of minutes that he like deserved so much like I don't think that at all. I think he's gotten a very fair opportunity for a young player in the league, and he, he's done well with his opportunities. He's squandered some opportunities, but he's also, you know, come through and shined in those uh, chances that he was given as well. So it's a bit of both. But what I am going to tell you is that all of this culminates for next season. I think that he now deserves a starting role. And I know, I understand that we had liked him in this sixth man role for a while. He was like the Lou Will of our team. And, oh, like team, like he can come off the bench. Teams won't game plan around him. And that's actually what he made a living off of in a, a big portion of his rookie year, right? But his name's on the map now. He's not a nobody by any means. And people know, whether he's starting or coming off the bench, that Emmanuel quickly is a bucket and they know to watch out for him, right? But what is so compelling about IQ? I mean, his numbers don't jump out at you by any means, and at least not in a good way, that is. For instance, he shot a pretty solid 39% from three-point range last year, but this past season, that went down to 35%, which can be seen as a pretty alarming drop-off, especially for a guy who came out of Kentucky and was viewed as a shooter, if nothing else. Let me give you guys the kicker, the monstrous detail most people are missing when discussing Emmanuel quickly. I just mentioned it, that scouts liked his shooting ability a lot, but he stands at just 6'3", so he's a bit undersized to play the spot up too. However, him playing the point guard was an afterthought because nobody believed that his handle and or court vision was at an NBA level. So nobody wanted to draft him as a point guard they were looking at him as a shooter and basically strictly a shooter right everything else would just be a bonus and this is exactly why he fell to us at the end of the first round we snagged he was actually projected to go uh, early second but we snagged him at the end of the first a lot of people straight up called it a bad pick uh you know before he even played an nba minute but nevertheless that right there is why he fell to us at the 25th pick and it's not a surprise like I don't I'm not calling these scouts stupid for not understanding how good of a playmaker IQ is because at Kentucky he was their sixth man you know he, he played the combo guard position there and didn't really that was just what they needed on the team he did what the team needed and was never able to really showcase his point guard ability on that team 
and now obviously he's had incredible progression as a playmaker so far in the league. So getting back to that 4% three-point drop-off that IQ has had, everything I just mentioned is necessary information for the argument I'm about to present. So what I need you to understand, three-point percentages are not nearly as important for point guards as they are for wing shooters, your shooting guards and small fours, for example. This is just simply because of the way that the game is in this era of basketball. Your point, you're running your offense through your point guard. He's initiating the plays, getting touches into the paint, kicking out to shooters. And those shooters that he's kicking out to are obviously the beneficiaries from the point guard's play. So it's, it's, it's very rarely vice versa. It's very rarely the... The wing players are driving in, kick out to the point guard for the open three. Let me let me give you an analogy for this before I ramble too much. Uh, Damian Lillard, for example, and I hate to go at Dame when he's coming off a pretty rough season. Well, actually, you know what? Let me. I'm just gonna explain this using Dame's entire like his career three point percentage. I don't even need to go at his three point percentage just from this past year. So, for Dame's career, and we all view Dame as a very good three-point shooter, right? He's one of the best shooting point guards, you know, of all time, sure, right? Like, we can put him up there, just for the sake of this discussion, at, at the very least. Dame's career three-point percentage is 37%. Now, that right there is only 2% up from what IQ shot this year in what was, a, you know, the most forgetful Knicks season I've experienced in my time as a, a Knicks fan, so it was just a dumpster fire of a year. 35% for that, like isn't as bad as it would look to most people. The whole thing here is that Dame's not supposed to average 42% from three for his career. He's the one taking the last second shots at the end of the buzzer beater, taking the tough shots in crunch time, even if they're bad shots over double teams. Like, that's your point guard. That's 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 almost his responsibility, especially as a star player like Damian Lillard is. So, you don't expect guys like him to shoot 40% and above. However, you do expect guys like Desmond Bain, Patty Mills, P.J. Tucker, some of the best three-point shooters in a league by percentage, like Grayson Allen and Joe Harris as well. You expect these guys to be topping the league in three-point percentage. So I hope that helped explain what I'm getting at here in that we shouldn't scrutinize over this three-point drop-off for IQ and shouldn't scrutinize over his percentage for either of the two seasons alone, like, at all right now. And it's not 25%, you know, it's 35 Yeah, I won't ever lose my mind over IQ's three-point percentage. Like, and Tibbs has said it. He has full confidence in IQ. The, his shooting slumps is the last thing he's worried about on this team, right? So let me hit you guys with three separate reasons as to why I think IQ is the point guard of our future and should be starting as soon as next season. Uh, three different reasons with varying levels of importance. The final one I'm going to mention is the most important reason. So number one, he's shown clear improvement on the defensive end in this past season. You know, getting into passing lanes, providing on-ball pressure, and overall confidence when getting switched on to a better player. Because in his first season, I wouldn't say that he was a defensive liability or a burden on defense by any means, but clearly there was like a lack of effort there. And you'll see that with rookies, like on defense, like, you know, they put in all the work on the offense and they make the most of every touch they get, right? You'll see that, but then sometimes 
a player who's not known for defense can start to slack off a bit on the defensive end. But Tibbs got IQ right, and I really liked what I saw out of him from on the defensive end this season. Getting out into transition and all that, seriously, like, the effort was there. And when he would come off the bench and be that spark like he has been in these past two seasons, it wasn't only on offense at times. You'd see it on defense as well in his effort and hustle. So I really liked what I saw out of IQ on defense. And I don't think that he can become – I don't think he has the potential to become an all-NBA defender, all-first-team, all-defense, nothing like that. But I think he could become a really solid defender and, you know, hold his ground when guarding, you know, the other team's best guard or whoever it is, you know, guarding whoever's guarding him. So, yeah. I have full confidence that he can do that. Number two here is his free throw shooting and how insanely consistent he's been from the line. Right when he came into the league, he was flirting with the um, low 90s and finished both his first and second year in the high 80s. I want to say, I don't have in front of me, but 88% this season. And then his rookie season finished with 89, top five in the league for both years. So that is a really good sign to me. I think free throw shooting for any player like being able to have a consistent like free throw like routine and you know being able to knock down your free throws consistently I think is a great place to start when trying to build a consistent offensive game because you see a lot of these players who all who show all these flashes but are never able to consistently provide their offense on a night in night out basis so I think this is like a good way to lay the foundations for IQ to be able to bring the same thing every night on offense and like in terms of his shot. Obviously, there's cold nights, you know. Everybody has their, you know, 1 for 10, 1 for 12 nights. You can't avoid those, but being able to stay out of those shooting ruts is key for him. And I think the free throw shooting is just an excellent sign, and I don't see, you know, that declining anytime within the next few years. So, yeah, I it it and it's a total bonus to have your uh, your point guard be an excellent free throw shooter because that's who's in that's who has the ball in their hands at the very end of the game. So you don't want to have to foul him. You want to foul anybody else, send anybody else to the line. So you get the point. So a third reason why I think IQ is the point guard of the future and deserves a starting role is because of his playmaking and specifically his paint touches. What he does is gets into the paint so well off of a screen, touches the paint. This what this what and and like former NBA players all the analysts will talk about all the time. They'll talk your ear off about this subject. As a point guard in the NBA, you need to get into the paint, touch the paint, you know, one foot in the paint, whatever it is, and be able to kick out after that. Because so many players that aren't able to take it to the next level, whether that's from high school to D one or D one to the NBA, is the, when they get into the paint and they put their head down, they already have their mind made up. They already know what they're going to do when they get to the paint. They don't, re, they don't read and react to the defense. They get into the paint. They know they're going up with the right-handed layup, whatever, whatever it may be. But having the ability to effortlessly get into the paint and have the defense collapse on you and then kick out to shooters where they can swing the ball and get a high percentage look is so huge. And IQ has done it so well in this past season um just his progressions as a playmaker have been huge the paint touches and the kick out so it's it's just a great sign a phenomenal sign so right now you might be saying to yourself 
Chris, this is all fine and dandy, and I love Emmanuel quickly. I think he's wonderful, but what about having Donovan Mitchell on the team or Jalen Brunson running the show at the point? And listen, listen, I would love to see Jalen Brunson, Donovan Mitchell, or even Shy Gilgis Alexander in the next jersey next season as much as the next guy. But I would despise it if we were to take an all-or-nothing approach for any of the three this offseason and then start in a trade negotiations and not have a backup plan. You know what I mean? And just give up our entire future and bet on the fact that Jalen Brunson is going to lead us to the promised land. Or even Donovan Mitchell, who hasn't shown us anything in U- shown Well, okay, he's shown us plenty in Utah, right? But he hasn't shown us that he can lead a team to playoff success. So there's that. Listen, I'm going to break down the three. Shy is the most intriguing of the three to me. By like by a landslide, and I don't like the good numbers on an awful team uh, argument for him. I feel like he's super efficient scoring, and he's a two-way player. You gotta understand this guy is locked down on defense. So yeah, he's not like the Thunder got. Like when you look at the team around him. Like what do you want him to like put up bad numbers with that? Like the fact that he's putting up those like numbers, like the assist totals and all that, like with like those players around him is like that's impressive in itself i don't care if it's not leading to wins you know this isn't kevin knox on the 2017 2018 knicks team i i think it's a much different scenario i think shy gilds alexander is a phenomenal player um and i'd love him on the team what's more concerning to me about him is his injuries um and that's the topic for another day uh and Jalen Brunson's also interesting to me as well. He's actually, if we're ranking them, Shai's number one, Jalen Brunson's number two, and then Donovan's number three out of those uh, three players. Jalen Brunson is the most interesting to me. Or, no, he's not. I just said Shai is. Anyways, he interests me because he just had, okay, right now in that Dallas and Phoenix series, he's playing awful. He's coming off of a phenomenal series against Utah, and his stock went to the moon, and Knicks fans were like, yeah, I'll pay him $25 million, no question. Now, his stock just went back down to where it was, if not even lower, because he's having, he played horrible in those first two games of the uh, Phoenix series. So, I think of it like, as an investor, his stock's lower now. If, they're, if they were to get swept in that series, and he doesn't turn it around, like he doesn't start shooting better or anything, then... And they look to deal him because they don't want to pay him the $25 million after that performance. I'd gladly take him on because he's – he's you get where I'm coming from? His stock is lower at that point, and I don't want to have to overpay for him. I don't want to have to take him on for $28 million, have to fork over a couple first-round picks in a sign-and-trade type thing. So, yeah, that one's also interesting. But listen, if the opportunities were to present themselves and – we have the upper hand in these opportunities. I'm willing to listen. I'm absolutely willing to listen. But you know who is I'm not willing to listen to offers around is three players. Number one is R.J. Barrett. Number two is Obi Toppin. Number three is the guy I've been talking about for the past 20 minutes, Manuel Quickly. If any of those three are being like they ask for any of those three in the offer, I'm hanging up the phone. If I'm the GM, I hang it up then and there. Listen, I get it. I know it was a tough season. It was you a season you want to forget. I, you, you might feel like we don't have anything going on right now. This is not the time to give away our entire young core to bring in a star 
that will take it, they'll supposedly take us to the promised land and put the Knicks back on the map with no help on the team. I don't know how he would do this. With his only help being Julius Randle. Like, no, 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 no. Don't, no thank you, no. Like, I'm going to go into a full deep dive, like I said, in the very next episode into why our young core is worth getting excited over. But listen, and I keep telling you to listen. I mean, I'm assuming you're listening. I'm going to have to stop saying that. Listen, and I I said it again. Okay, guys, just hear me out. There, that's another way to say it. I feel like I'm one of the only Knicks fans who's genuinely super excited for the possibility of an Emmanuel Quickly and Derrick Rose point guard rotation next year. Like, with Emmanuel Quickly, like as of right now, it looks like he'll be the starting point guard, which is what I want for sure, for sure. And Derrick Rose backing him up, or if somehow they were to, well, I mean, even if he backs him up, I'm sure they get time on the court together. Uh, the idea, just the idea of them playing together again is awesome in my eyes, because I loved it when Derrick Rose first got dealt to the Knicks. Um, in that deal where we robbed the Pistons blind, we gave them what we give them: Dennis Smith Jr. and a second-round pick. Oh, for heaven's sake, dude! Like, yeah. Well, anyways, when he first got to the team last year, uh, I loved seeing him and IQ on the court at the same time. And Derrick Rose like immediately came in, became IQ's mentor. He was like, I remember, it was like he exchanged phone numbers with him the first time he met him. Exchanged phone numbers with like the entire team. Like, yeah, Derrick Rose all-time, like, good guy. I, I love D-Rose, and he's one of my favorite players of all time. I can't remember if I mentioned that um, at all in the show, but yeah. Anyways, I really, I'm super, I'd, I'd be stoked for that point guard rotation, and then throw Miles McBride into the mix, and let him get some run, either at point guard, or if he's playing off-ball, like, let him get some run, and you know how good he is on defense, and how good he can be on defense, that's that I really like that. I like the idea of doing that. I don't that is why I'm not willing to go all in on a trade bringing Shy or Donovan Mitchell or Jalen Brunson to the Knicks. I would really like if we had an IQ Derrick Rose point guard rotation. Give me that for next season. But yeah, so what are we concluding here? Is IQ the point guard of the future? I mean, it's hard to say. It's only his second year of going into his third, so it like I I can't guarantee you that he's gonna suddenly like become the next Wolf Clyde Frazier, but I think he deserves the chance to be the starter, and I think we should give him the keys to the offense. I I really want to see him starting next season. I'm totally pushing for it, and that is really all I got for you guys. I would absolutely love to hear your take on the question, so if you're listening to this on YouTube, drop a comment. If you're listening to this on any podcast platform, you can DM me. My Instagram is ccapetta04. My Twitter's the same. Message me on Skype, whatever you can find me on. You know, Shoot me a message. And I mentioned this at the end of the first episode I made. I would love to have guests on the show at any point. So if you're interested, if you're a fan of the show and you're interested to appear on the show in any way, shape, or form and talking about any Knicks topic, or it doesn't even need to be Knicks topic, we could talk about the NBA. We could talk about what you had for lunch, but just let me know. Um, I'd love to have guests on the show. And listen, ah, here we go again. Guys, that is about all I got. Thank you so much for listening. Episode, oh, by the way, I completely messed up. I said at the beginning of this episode that this is number six. 
This is number five, so I'm very sorry for the confusion. This was episode number five, Is IQ the Point Guard of the Future? Episode number six will be titled something like, Why Our Young Core is Worth Fighting For, something something like that. Uh, and I'm going to take a deep dive into that. I said that a bunch of times, so yeah, not to beat a dead horse, but thank you once again for tuning in to Yelling and Propelling. Have a superb rest of your day or night, and I hope to see you again soon. Go next.